following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Well, good morning. Thank you for showing up here this morning. That right there was the price worth the price of admission just to get to hear those testimonies. And uh, my, my name's Craig, by the way. I am not on staff here. I serve on the elder board, so I can say how appreciative I am of the staff that we have and the hard work they did to make sure this happened today because they know the value of us getting together and worshiping and the worship team and Brian and his team. I mean, they're just amazing. So yeah, thank you to them for making this happen. Um, if you're a guest, and, oh, and by the way, those of you that have young children in here, that doesn't bother me at all. I'll just tell you, we have a preschool. I do chapel every week. It's with three and four-year-olds. I'm used to every, everything that could have happened has already happened, so I can just preach right through it. So don't worry about if your child is you know, squirming or whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm just glad you're here. If you're a guest or you've missed some of the past few weeks, you may not know we're smack dab in the middle of this series called This Beautiful Mess, where we're looking at seven real letters written to seven real churches in Asia Minor. And what we're discovering is that while the church is this beautiful expression of who Jesus is in our world, it's also made up of people like you and me. And so it is messy right? Because we're messy. Um, for those of you that listen to Frozen, the soundtrack over and over and over and over in your home like we do because we have a four-year-old granddaughter, um, in the words of the trolls, you kids will get this, we're a bit of a fixer-upper, right? That's what we are. And so if you're here for the first time, I hope it comforts you to know that we know that you know that we are a mess. We're not trying to pretend to be anything other than that. It's what I love about this church. There's no pretense here. Um, but my prayer is that by the time you leave this place, you will have a clearer understanding of why we are crazy in love with the one who specializes in cleaning up messes. Jesus, our Savior, is our only hope. And so if you're here looking for some hope this morning, you've come to the right place. It's why we've all gathered here today to get some hope. We're going to be in the book of Revelation, your last book of the Bible, chapter two. Um, Jesus is speaking here. John is writing it down for him. And he's got some words to say to his churches. And I got to warn you up front, today's words are a little hard, a little rough. They're going to be hard to hear. I can tell you that they are hard to preach, especially for someone like me who doesn't do this all the time and uh, who is a people pleaser. I want you to like me when this is over. I'm not sure these words are gonna help with that, but they are Jesus's words. So we're gonna listen to them, we're gonna learn from them. So here we go, buckle up. Today we're gonna look at his letter to the church in Thyatira. Thyatira, Thyatria, I'm not sure how you say it. I'm not Barry, so I'm just gonna go with Thyatira, okay? But what's interesting is this city, as all the seven churches are, they're located in modern day Turkey. And Kathy and I were just in Turkey uh, three weeks ago. We didn't go to Thyatira, but we did go to Ephesus. So while y'all were learning about the letter to the church in Ephesus, we were actually standing on the streets in ancient Ephesus. And it was amazing. We went on this 12-day Mediterranean cruise that uh, was for my 60th birthday. It was an extravaganza. Some people have called it the Craigapalooza. And, and I get it because... My 60th birthday was actually a year and a half ago. 
and I'm still celebrating it. There's nothing wrong with that, but there is a reason for it. Because in the summer of 2020, uh, the cruise industry went on pause because of COVID. And so they offered these phenomenal rates if you would book a cruise with them before the end of 2020, because they thought they were coming back in six weeks, right? And so if you would book a cruise, phenomenal rate, and they gave the guarantee that if they did not come back, they would let you lift it and shift it to 2021. So I told my wife, this is the chance of a lifetime. They're not gonna come back in October. Let's book it, and then they'll shift it to 2021. It's my 60th birthday. This is gonna work out perfect. So we booked it. We got that great rate. They shifted it. Sure enough, three weeks later, it got canceled. They moved it to 2021. I thought everything has worked out perfect, but I did not know that COVID was gonna linger into 2021. And so it got canceled again. But kindly enough, they lifted and shifted to 2022. So it just now happened. We just now got to do it. It was the trip of a lifetime. So amazing. We got to go to Turkey and Israel and Greece. But like I said, we did not go to the town of Thyatira. And there's a reason for that. Probably the same reason that would have been if you lived back then. There wasn't much going on there. This wasn't some great impressive city. Didn't have the big amphitheaters outside. Didn't have the huge temples of worship. This was just a blue collar town that was probably known mostly for where your clothes would have come from. You would have had a tag in your shirt that said, made in Thyatira. Because these were tradespeople who worked with cloth. You may remember Lydia from Acts chapter 16. She was a dealer in purple cloths. She was from Thyatira. And so the fashion industry dominated this little town. And if you live there, the way you survived was to join one of their trade guilds, similar to our modern day unions. They had a guild for people that worked with uh, dyeing cloth, uh, one that worked with leather, those that worked with wool. And these guilds controlled the economy of this town. And they decided whether or not you could trade there, whether you could do business there. And more than that, they were also the city's safety net. They were like your 401k. So if you were a member of a guild and you passed away, the guild would take care of your family. And even more than that, they were like worship centers because each guild had its own God that, that, that was over that guild. And so as a member of the guild, you were expected to show up at feast and worship whatever God was God over your particular area. And you would sacrifice food to that idol and you would participate in all the things that went along with that, either to the specific God of your guild or to the God of the town who was considered to be Apollo. Now you may remember from Greek mythology, Apollo was the son of Zeus. So in these people's mind, Apollo was the son of God. Right? And so this is who they worshiped as part of the festivities. Prostitutes that served that particular God would, would approach you. You'd be expected to have an encounter on behalf of that God. So as a believer in this town, you can only imagine the pressure to succumb, to fit in, to go along with. Because after all, this is your livelihood, right? This is what puts food on the table for you and your family. This is how you have to survive in this town. It reminded me of my middle son who's an actor out in Hollywood and he's had some successes out there, loves doing what he does, but you cannot imagine the pressure all the time. He's calling all the time, dad, I had to turn down this audition or I couldn't do that because of the language or because of the situation or because of the sex scene, whatever they're asking in the thing. He said, you know, I, I, I wanna honor God, but at the same time, he's married, he needs to help support him and his wife, and so there's this tension all of the time. Some of you know what that's like in your own business, I'm sure. The after-work parties, the out-of-town business dinners or engagements where you're expected to participate because uh, it's what you do. 
right? It's how you move up the corporate ladder. And so it's against this backdrop that Jesus speaks to this little church. And, and just so you know, this town and church may seem small, rather insignificant, but this is the longest of Jesus's seven letters. And it suggests it might actually be important to what Jesus wants to say to this little church. And as we've seen in the previous letters, he begins these letters by describing himself. And typically the way he describes himself is unique to the issues that are going on in this church. And so he begins this letter this way. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. He begins by reminding them, I'm the son of God. Only time in Revelation he refers to himself as the son of God. But in this town where they think Apollo is the son of God, they need to be reminded there is only one son of God, of the, of the true living God. And then he says, I have eyes like blazing fire. They would have been familiar with that imagery because of the trades that they were in, that this was used to purify things. Jesus says, I've got eyes like that. And then finally, the feet of burnished bronze. It's a description that's often associated with the judgment of God. And so it's why Jesus would say in this same letter, and a little bit later, he says, I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will pay each of you according to your deeds. And then he begins, as he has done in the other letters, pointing out the things they're doing right, the things that he is happy that they're doing. He says, I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance. Uh, and, and I know that what you're doing now is more than you did at first. And you hear that and you think, okay, two thumbs up, Thyatira. Like the church in Ephesus, they're being praised for their good deeds, for their strong work ethic. And this is even better because they're actually loving people in the process. That's what Ephesus lacked, if you remember. And they have faith and they have service. This is a vibrant church. This is the kind you would be welcomed into and you would love going to. They were active in their community. I'm sure they had the food pantry, the health clinic. They're partnering with local missions. They're drilling water wells. They're championing social justice. They're serving the poor. This is the model millennial church of today. And wouldn't we love those words to be spoken about this church? And it seems they're even getting better over time. He says, you're now doing more than you did at first. I think many churches today would hear those words and think, well, we've fulfilled our duty as a church. That's all we need to hear. The mission has been accomplished. But Jesus says, not so fast. There is something I have against you. He says, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. This is getting dark fast, isn't it? And then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. So what's going on here? Well, apparently there is a woman in this church. She's referred to as Jezebel, probably not her real name. It's just more of a character description based off the Jezebel of the Old Testament. But she's teaching false doctrine. And apparently she is charismatic. She is a gifted teacher. And we don't know exactly what she's teaching, but we do know what her teaching is leading to. It's leading to them being involved in sexual immorality and, and sacrificing uh, food to idols. My guess, just a guess, is that maybe she's making this argument. Hey guys, I know you need to participate in the pagan gods of this town in order to conduct business. 
And I know it goes against your faith, but God understands, right? You, you can, you, he knows you need to put food on the table. He gets that. It's not what you believe. I mean, it's what you believe that really matters, right? It's not how you behave. Does that sound familiar in our age? And for me, the words that jump off this page, the word that jumps off this page that's so relevant to us today is when he says you tolerate. This word tolerance, it's the buzzword of our culture today, isn't it? We think tolerance is the number one virtue. And it is a virtue. If you're talking about showing dignity to every human being, being kind to all, respecting other people, even when you don't agree with them, then tolerance, when defined like that, is not only a good thing, it's actually setting the bar too low for us who call ourselves Christians. Because we're not called just to tolerate people. We're actually called to something higher. We're called to love people. Love people who are like us and people who don't like us. Love people that look like us and don't look like us. Think like us and don't think like us. That's the standard for us. Who wants to live in a world where people just merely tolerate each other? But too often... By tolerate, we mean to affirm and to accept all truth claims as equal and right. And here in this passage, I think he's talking about that kind of tolerance, the tolerance that overlooks what's evil and promotes an acceptance of immorality because, well, that's your truth. And it's not okay anymore to just agree to disagree because if I disagree with you, then I risk being called a bigot or some kind of phobe. See, I have to acknowledge that your truth is as valid as the truth. And Jesus will not tolerate that view of tolerance. And we, as his followers, cannot tolerate more than he tolerates. Yes, I can respect different opinions. I can try to understand them. I ought to give people the best construct on the motives of, that they have. But we cannot give unqualified, unconditional affirmation to every belief and behavior. Amen. Parents, you understand that, right? You're not a good parent if you give unqualified, unconditional affirmation to every behavior that you see in your child. You see them playing in the middle of the street, you don't just say, well, who am I to judge, right? <laughs> if your child walks by with a hairdryer and says, I'm gonna go take a bath with this hairdryer, you don't say, well, to each his own. <laughs> of course not. That's not loving tolerance. We all know that, and as Christians, we have to learn to love what God loves and hate what God hates. We have to love what God loves. And you know what God loves? God loves people. He loves people more than anything. It's why he left his home in heaven to come down and live on this earth to search after people like me and you. And he was willing to go to a cross because he could not stand the thought of living in eternity, through eternity without his people. That's what God loves. And that's what we're called to love. The people in our world and in this city and in our families and in our homes, people who are like us and people who are not like us. We are called to love what God loves. And that's people, all people. And that's where Ephesus had failed. But Thyatira, I mean, they are firing on all cylinders in this area. But we also have to hate what God hates. And God hates sin. It costs his son's life. And see, that's the issue here in Thyatira. And here's what's funny. For, for all that our culture may speak about tolerance, and if only we could be more tolerant, and all the bashing that goes on in the, towards the church about not being tolerant enough, we live in one of the most intolerant eras and ages of all time. If you don't believe me, if you need to see rank intolerance of all kinds, I can introduce you to it quickly. It's called Twitter. 
You wanna see judgment without mercy? You wanna see where every mistake you've ever made keeps getting drudged up and played over and over with no hope of receiving forgiveness? Welcome to social media. And it's interesting what a culture will tolerate and won't at any given time because it seems to shift over time, doesn't it? I think back to my childhood back in the early 60s, even further back, late 50s, there was little tolerance in our society for sexual immorality in the media. You made me remember the number one show, I Love Lucy. Lucille Ball, Desi Arnaz, actually married in real life, but on TV, they could not be seen in the same bed. And so you may remember they had twin beds in their little apartment in New York because that was not allowed on television. We did not tolerate that. But on the other hand, we tolerated anything when it came to food and nutrition, right? As a kid, my snack when I came home was some sort of sponge cake with whipped cream in it wrapped up in a ball that was called a Twinkie. I don't know how somebody came up with that, but it was delicious. But there was great tolerance for that. And you just think about how that has shifted now in our culture. Now we have great tolerance for sex in media, right? You can't turn on a show. You can't watch anything without some reference to or explicit scene glorifying sex. But food... We don't tolerate that, do we? I mean, it better be non-GMO. Is it organic? Did the cow have wine? Did somebody massage the cow? Was the chicken read poetry? I mean, it's hardly an exaggeration, but in most mom groups today, you would receive more nasty looks for feeding your child fruity pebbles than you would for announcing that you're leaving your husband to have an affair. They'd say, oh, really? Tell me about that. But wait a minute, you fed your child what? Fruity what? Are you crazy? See, tolerance for and lack of tolerance for different issues may shift and change over time in a particular society when that society is defining that. But we have been given a truth, the truth, that does not shift or change over time. And God says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he has always been intolerant of sin and immorality. And so should we. Billy Graham, all the way back in 1959, said these words that are so pertinent even to today. He says, over-tolerance in moral issues has made us soft, flabby, and devoid of conviction. We have been sapped of conviction, drained of our beliefs, and bereft of our faith. G.K. Chesterton famously said, tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. And the church in Ephesus, if you remember, was all conviction, all doctrine, all law, all truth. And they got reprimanded by Jesus. He said, hey, you've forgotten the love part of this. And many of us grew up in churches like that, didn't we? Where grace was harder to find than toilet paper during the pandemic. And nobody smiled and people showed up with their game face on because they knew if they showed any flaw or any uh, shortcoming, they would be thrown out and stoned, right? All truth, no grace. But it was the opposite here in this church in Thyatira. It was excelling when it came to loving people, extending grace to people. And I think many of us today, just like them, have bought the lie that that's enough. We're just called to be dispensers of grace. Just love on people. Nothing more than that. You remember the Christina Aguilera song? You are beautiful no matter what they say. Words can't bring you down. You are beautiful in every single way. Yes, words can't bring you down, so don't bring me down today. That is the gospel that is being preached in so many churches today, and people get whipped up in a frenzy, and there's books and ministries and churches and movements that are essentially telling people nothing more than that. Just a message of feel good about yourself. 
that you could get by just turning on the radio, but that is not the gospel. When Jesus preached the gospel, when John preached the gospel, when the apostles preached the gospel, they did not herald the news that God likes you just the way you are, so go live that way. They herald the the news that God sent his son to die for sinners like you and me. And he can make us into the image of his son, Jesus. To quote that other great theologian of our day, Lady Gaga, (laughs) she had a song, Born This Way. I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and you're set. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. And you hear that and it sounds so good, so right, so loving. And I think it's because there is some element of truth in that, right? God makes no mistakes. That's true. And there is, uh, uh, you know, God's, no one's arguing you were born a certain way. But where the culture would say, hey, you were born that way, so you're on the right track, so live that way, baby, scripture actually says something very different. It says you were born that way, we were all born that way, it's called our sin nature. And the solution is not to live that way. The solution is actually to be born again into a new life with Jesus Christ. See, the philosophy of the church of Thyatira, it was just live and let live. Let's just avoid the hard teachings of scripture. Let's avoid the call to holiness. They were all grace, but no truth. But we as the body of Christ, we are called to something bigger. We are called to something fuller. We are called to be an accurate reflection, the physical representation of who the man Jesus was. And let me read to you what his friend John wrote later in his life as he's reflecting back on his time with Jesus. And he wanted to try to describe what it was like to live with this man, Jesus. This is what he said. He said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And there it is, full, full to the brim of grace and full, full to the brim of truth. And we know what grace is, right? Grace says, you're forgiven, you'll be fine, I love you just the way you are. And we know what truth is. Truth says, you're accountable, you're broken, you're gonna have to work on some things. And there's this tension between those two, and I think we all wanna lean one way or the other because of either our own unique personalities or the way we were raised. We wanna push Jesus in one direction or the other, the one we're most comfortable with. See, I'm most comfortable leaning towards the true side when I'm telling you what to do, but I wanna lean towards the grace side when I'm talking about myself. And John reiterates this idea in verse 17 when he says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And the word used there is begotten. It was born. It showed up in a full package, grace and truth in one person. Not the balance between grace and truth. That's where we all wanna live, right? We just need a little more grace, a little less truth, or the other way around. It's not about a balance. It is fully grace and fully truth. And if we as a church, and if I as a follower of Jesus wanna be his representative in this world, then I cannot neglect either part of it. And it's why his interactions with people were so compelling, so transformative, so unpredictable. You never knew what he was gonna say as he interacted with people. Think about the woman who was caught in adultery. 
These religious leaders bring her to Jesus and they say, what do you think, Jesus? Should we stone her? That's what the law says. That's the truth. Aren't you all about truth, Jesus? And you remember Jesus said, sure, go ahead, stone her. How about you start? You who has no sin, you go ahead and start. You start the person who's never committed adultery in your heart, you go ahead. The person that has never looked at a woman lustfully, go ahead. And one by one, it says, they laid their stones down and walked away. And then Jesus looks at this woman eye to eye and asks, hey, where'd everybody go? Can't you just kind of see him smiling at her? Did no one condemn you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. That is full on grace. But he's not done. Now go and leave your life of sin. Wait, wait, Jesus, which is it? I don't condemn you or you're a sinner? And Jesus says, yes, it is both. That's how I love. I am the embodiment of grace and truth. Andy Stanley talks about this and how messy it is for the modern day church. He says, if you wanna know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, you watch what Jesus did and how Jesus loved. He called sin, sin, and then he paid for it. And having paid for it, he declared, I don't condemn you. And then he says to all of us, now that I've called sin, sin, and I paid for it, and I've said, I don't condemn you, I want you to leave your life of sin. And if you don't, I love you. And if you can't, I love you. And if the woundedness and the shrapnel of your own sin has left you to a place where you're not even sure you'll be able to walk away from the complexity of your sin, I love you. And here's the truth. You're a sinner, but my grace says, I don't condemn you and no one will ever love you more than me. And the tension that causes is so uncomfortable. But if we don't live in it and instead just try to resolve it, we're gonna give up something that's so important. See, there's a reason that we cannot let go of truth. The reason we have to keep saying, Jesus had to keep saying, this is what is true because sin has a gotcha. And God loves you so much, he doesn't want it to get you. And so he says over and over, here's what's true. Here's what's true. Truly I say to you, here's how you should live. Here's how you should treat people. Here's how you live out your gift of sexuality. Here's why you should be honest. Here's why you have to be accountable. Sin has a gotcha and I don't want it to get you. So we need truth, but we can't let go of grace either because the reality is sin already got us, got me. I know it's got you. And grace is our only way back. Grace is our only way home. It's the only way for us to be reconnected with our heavenly father. And so we need grace and we need truth. And there has been times in all of our lives where we needed massive doses of grace. And there's been times where we just needed the truth put right in front of our faces. And there will be no more times like that when they come, then that will be true. And it, it is the church that is to be the dispenser of both. And so Jesus says to Thyatira, hey, great job on the grace part, guys. I love how you love people and serve people and stand up for people. Keep going. But you cannot neglect the truth part. I am a holy God. And I am calling my people to be holy, to live holy lives that stand out and are set apart and reflect my righteousness and my purity and my holiness. You must not, you cannot tolerate what I don't tolerate. 
And then he gives this promise to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. And I will also give that one the morning star. He says, hold on, hold out, stand up, stand out for my truth. And in this world, you may come across as a prude, you may be mocked, you may be laughed at because you don't participate in the business trip shenanigans or the after football game drink fest. You don't use foul language in the office. You don't hook up with people on the weekends. You and your girlfriend don't move in with each other before marriage. I know it feels lonely. I know you feel like an outsider, but one day, one day I'm coming back and you will rule. Literally, you're gonna rule. You're gonna rule with me over the nations and the best you, gift you could ever ask for is on its way because I'm gonna give you the morning star. And you ask, well, what's the morning star? Well, I'm glad you asked because Jesus says in Revelation 22, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The morning star is Jesus himself. Jesus says, you hold on and one day you get me the maker and the lover of your soul. It's a hard message. It's hard to hear. It's hard to preach. But what do we do with it as the church in 2022? Because he says, he ends by saying, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God, what are you saying to us? How do we respond to this? I just wanna give you two quick suggestions. Corporately, if you're a part of this community, if you call IBC home, would you pray for the leadership here? As a part of the elder board here, a big role we play as a board in this church is to oversee and guard the truth of what's taught and what's lived out in this place. And in the cultural moment that we find ourselves in, this is a weighty responsibility. So please pray for us to have wisdom and courage and grace to make sure this church remains a place where people from every walk of life can walk into this place and hear the message that there is a God and he loves them. And he says, yes, you've sinned and I paid for it and you're not condemned and I love you and I wanna be in relationship with you. And then individually, over this next week, Will you allow the spirit to speak to you? Will you spend some time asking yourself this question? Are there things in my life that I'm tolerating that God would not tolerate? Have I opened a door? Have I flirted with a possibility? Have I participated in an activity? Have I spoken words? Have I looked at images? Have I treated people in a way that dishonors the God that I love? God said to this Jezebel, I've given her time to repent because that's who our God is. He's a God of mercy and grace and he is waiting patiently. He waited patiently for her and he's waiting patiently for you, but he will not wait forever. And that's the truth. Will you allow that truth, his truth, the truth to lead you to repentance so that we can live out our days in light of his grace? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these words. They're so hard to hear. But God, we wanna be people who honor you with our lives. We wanna be dispensers of grace and we wanna be speakers of truth, God. Help us to do both well 
so that it represents who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.